The Jeremiah Show is brought to you by Franny Annie's Infant Care. <laughs> Franny Annie's Child Care is currently accepting new enrollment for children 2, 3, and 4 years old. As caregivers of young children in the community, our vision of giving optimal consideration to the children and the families continues to evolve as we do. Simply stated, our goals are as follows. To attain an astounding level of trust and communication with the child and the parent. To keep alive the daily commitment to respectful and responsible relationships. And to join with families in creating a supportive link between the workday and home life. Franny Annie's Child Care is currently accepting new enrollment for children 2, 3, and 4 years old. Call or text 805-689-9349. This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show, and he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins. It's the Jeremiah Show and Evolve Entertainment. Featuring It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Mike Gormley presents Music Icons. The Arwen Lewis Show. Down with Dee Dee Pfeiffer. The Angel Baby Show. And Luis Goffin's Song Chronicles. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. As some of you guys may know, I had a really good friend that I knew for about two years. Her name was Anne Haish. She's a movie actor. Uh, she's been in some of my favorite films and probably some of yours as well. Over the course of a couple of years, I got to know her pretty well and her good friend, Heather Duffy Boylston. Um, I approached Heather, who was not only Anne's best friend, but she was also her publicist, her rep, her PR rep. And uh, I approached Heather one time and I said, Heather, do you think that Anne would explore 11 of her films with me in a series that I was going to call Behind the Curtain with Anne Heche. And Heather said, that's a great idea, if I remember correctly. And she put it all together. And so I want to thank Heather Duffy with, uh, with so much gratitude for making this happen. But it's been uh, August 11th with, August 11th was the one year anniversary of the death of Anne Heche, and we all miss her so much. She left behind, uh, so many great things, so many marks that she put on the world in a positive way. And, uh, so this entire week I am playing behind the curtain with Anne Heche. And it's really a cool series because Anne and I, uh, take these films and she gives us kind of an inside peek. Stories that you've probably never heard before. Heather Duffy says, It's hard to think that a year ago, Anne left this world. In some ways, it's harder now because we miss her even more. It's not a memorial anniversary that I want to celebrate. Rather, I want it to be an opportunity to highlight her life and her impact on this world. The environment in which she grew up in and the lives of the people who loved her. We are doing our best to live as she would have light and love and kindness, finding happiness in small amounts, working hard, being open and honest, and always accepting others. And I should note here, should be applauded for her contribution to the LB, LGBTQ plus community. 
One of the great fights of the actress was openness to speech about homosexuality. And as a reminder, Anne was in a relationship from 97 to 2000 with Ellen DeGeneres, attracting the wrath of her mother, Nancy, who condemned her sexual orientation. Her contribution is a legacy that will last forever, and our world will always be more welcoming because Anne stood in her truth when it was not common to do so at the time. So please enjoy over the next few days on Jeremiah's Morning Show as we take you behind the curtain with Anne Heche. Today, we're going to talk about what Anne learned from Johnny Depp and the film Donnie Brasco, one of my very favorite films of all time. Return to Paradise with Vince Vaughn and Joaquin Phoenix, who at that time, like Anne, were all young, up-and-coming Hollywood it club. And Anne talks about how they dealt with that sudden fame. She tells us about what she learned from Robert De Niro and Wag the Dog. And it's a story you do not want to miss. It makes me love Robert De Niro even more. And finally, uh, with her take on the film remake that she was in, Psycho. And a heartbreaking story, or heartwarming, I should say, story, about Alfred Hitchcock's daughter and the shot that Gus Van Sant was able to get that Alfred Hitchcock was not and how happy that made Alfred's daughter. Please enjoy this series all week long. And please remember Anne Heche and the contributions that she made for all of us. Enjoy. Learning from the masses, Johnny Depp. Now, there was not a sexier dude alive at that moment. I walked into the hair and makeup trailer, right? Nervous as heck. And he's dating a supermodel and I feel like, you know, homeless urchin. It's, you know, it took a long time for me to find self-esteem. I have to sit down in the chair next to Johnny Depp. I'm like, what do I do? How do I do? I'm supposed to play his wife. How am I going to do that? I don't understand why I'm here. I sit down, like I try to close my eyes and like act like it's not a big deal. I'm sitting next to Johnny Depp, like, oh my God. And I look over at Johnny, but I'm not supposed to be really. And he looks over at me. I'm like, like, so not at all cool. And three people come around Johnny. He puts out his arms. I'm seeing this thing like a mechanical, like, and I look at him and he looks over and he goes, don't get tattoos. It's an extra hour and a half in the trailer. You're behind the curtain with Anne Heche. This is the TGAS Radio Special Anne Heche Film Series. We're exploring 11 of Anne's best works with who else? Anne Heche. Don Brasco. Joseph Pistone, played by Johnny Depp, is an FBI agent who has infiltrated one of the major New York Mafia families and is living under the name Donnie Brasco. He develops a relationship with mob hitman Benjamin Lefty Ruggiero, played by Al Pacino, in order to get deeper undercover, but ends up developing a real friendship with the mafioso. As the relationship develops, Pistone must decide whether or not to complete his job, knowing that it will lead to the murder of his new friend. Mike Newell, director Donnie Brasco, was adapted from a book of the name Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. And Heche, behind the scenes... 
Tony Brasco, another amazing cast, another amazing uh, performance by you. What do you recall what's the, on the film? Uh, what was one of the best? Uh, the story that comes to mind for me in this, and, and it's more to speak to, uh, first of all, Mike Noel, God, God bless him, and I have a giant job, so fun to work with. Um, but, and, uh, but what comes to mind is really something that I want to um, say more to the actors who are listening. When I went to audition for that film, um, I heard it. I hear characters. So I'm reading a script. I hear something. I go in. I audition. At that time, uh, you know, you go in front of the camera. The, then you get a call back. Then you meet the director. And uh, if you're lucky enough, then you get it. At that time, they spent a lot of time, which they don't do anymore, unfortunately. I think it's uh, hurting uh, the storytelling. There was so much care, so much time taken, so much money spent do, trying to find the correctness of the cast and the chemistry. That is that is an art that is um, unfortunately not uh, serviced very much now. But when I would read a script and I hear the character, so one audition, two audition, three audition. I'm playing, playing the character. I'm playing it. After the you know third audition. I know now that I'm going back to to have this screen tested, but I'm now in the finals. And I run into Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener, a friend of mine, uh, and, and, and uh, cast, you know, I, I played her supporting uh, cast in Walking and Talking. And I happened to run into Catherine Keener in some coffee shop in Hollywood. And she, uh, she well, you know, what do you like to do? Ah, what do you like to do? I'm like, oh, I like that Donny Brasco thing. She's like, yeah, Donny Brasco. I'm like, I don't know if my accent was right. She's like, oh, whoa, I mean, you did the Florida accent, right? And I'm like, wait, what? I said, but you know, I didn't know if I quite got it. I talked to Kathleen Moriarty. I saw her in the lobby. She said, walk to a coffee. That's how you talk in the New Jersey accent. I was from New Jersey and made me think, yeah, walk to a coffee. So I kind of did the accent a little bit like that. But I gave it my own ringtone. And, and then I lightened her up. And I brought her into an actor that I thought, gorgeous and you know, a little bit more sensitive. Anyway, I nurtured this voice that I heard in my head and it was all, uh, you know, New Jersey. And then Catherine Keeter tells me that she's from Florida. <laughs> like, wait, ooh, she's, oh, wait. Now I'm going to see my, like the next day I'm going to see, I'm like, Catherine, uh, I thought she was from New Jersey, right? Of course, I'm laughing myself. I've never been professionally trained. And I also am like, oh, I've now done something else that somebody's going to be mad at me for. So I go to the screen test, whatever. And I, I'm like, Mike, I'm so sorry. I, I guess I didn't read the fine print. Like, I've been doing the wrong accent. I just did what I heard in my head. I'm so sorry. I'll do whatever. When I introduce you, I'm going to say, this is a friend of mine. That means you're connected again. Now, if I said instead, this is a friend of ours, that would mean you were made guy. Like a peach. 
when Lefty brought Donnie into his world. Who's this guy? This Donnie, a friend of mine. He took a risk on a kid he hardly knew. And I'm gonna have to school you, my friend. School me in what? Wise guy never carries his money in a wallet. He's always in a roll. Bina on the outside. He gave him his trust. You gotta get rid of that mustache. And get yourself a pair of pants. Just, just like me. He loved him like a son. Nobody can touch you because I represent you. Keep your nose clean, follow the rules, be a good owner, and maybe one day when they open the books, you could come out, wise guy. And I wish you died. But he never knew the truth. There's a war going on in that mafia family, and that is where Joe is undercover. Donnie! Come here! I want to know where my husband is. We don't know. You're going to freeze up now. A lot of guys freeze up. He said it was going to be three months. It's going on three years. Who he's with and who he's close to, they're all the top dogs now. He's right in the line of fire. There was a rat in Florida, Donnie. You know what to do when you find that rat, right, left? Could be I found him already. In our thing, you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead, and it's your best friend that does it. You have got to pull him out. You think I'm a rat? How many times I have you into my own house? If you're a rat, then I'm the biggest mutt in the history of the mafia. If I come out, Lefty dies. They're gonna kill him because he vouched for me, because he stood up for me. That's the same thing as if I put a bullet in his head myself, do you understand? Who am I? I'm a spoke on a wheel, and so are you. Hey, Don. Yeah. Let's take a walk. I'm your best friend. Louise Goffin here, songwriter, host, and producer of Song Chronicles. If you ever get stage fright when sharing your songs with the public and you're not sure what to say between songs, one way to get better is to create connection and collaboration opportunities with the nurturing guidance of someone who has been there. We'll look at some of the ways that the beliefs that hold you back did not originate with you, and I'll give you some strategies that worked for me that aim to empower you to get you to the place you've been telling yourself is just a far off dream. With these strategies, you'll move closer to embracing the truth of your unique voice and story and not only realize you didn't miss the boat, but that in fact, you are the boat. Seize the moment and reserve your place now. Promo discount code I am the boat, all lowercase. Go to louisegoffin.com, pull down the menu Songwriting Academy, reserve your spot now. Like the watch? Subscribe to The Jeremiah Show on YouTube. You're behind the curtain with Anne Hache. This is the TJS Radio Special Anne Hache Film Series. We're exploring 11 of Anne's best works with who else? Anne Hache. Return to Paradise. Lewis, played by Joaquin Phoenix, 
Sheriff, played by Vince Vaughn, and Tony, played by David Conrad, are three friends vacationing in Malaysia. Sheriff and Tony eventually leave to pursue careers in New York, but Lewis stays behind to work with orangutans. Two years later, Sheriff and Tony learn that, because of their past actions, Lewis has been arrested for drug possession. With Lewis facing a death sentence, the friends are left with a difficult decision. Return to Malaysia and split Lewis's sentence or let him die. What a great, that was my, I think that might been have been the first film that that I personally uh, really connected with you as an actor, or not connected with you, but just really admired and, and loved and started seeing as many films as I could that you were in. Um, and that one popped your cherry? It did, yeah. Then, hey, sh- <laughs> uh, t- tell us a little bit of it. Take us behind the curtain on Return to Paradise. How was that for you? <laughs> well, Vince Vaughn and Joaquin Phoenix are two of the most unique uh, uh, men, talented beyond anything that they could understand. This is this was years ago. They were both in a in a spotlight. I was probably in it too, but because of my naivete, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But but they're. That's probably why I was cast. I was in the movie too. Um, but my, I always took a backseat to myself, actually. But watching the two of them uh, have so much responsibility to the industry, it was, it was a little bit uh, um, nuts to, to actually feel the pressure they felt. And if you know, within 24 hours of knowing them, within two seconds of knowing, neither one of them, A, asked for it, B, would want it, C, knew what to do with it, but, you know, and D, made fun of it. But I mean, we were all, in a way, running from the moment that we, that everybody was telling us we were in. I guess I'll put myself into that category. The three of us were like, you know, actors, you know, what the frig was going on? So much attention to all and and certainly to them at that time, they were the it they were the it guys. And so were you. And so was I. I was like, the actors you were doing here. Look at everything you were around the time frame of that the, that movie that you were in. I mean, you were you were an it girl too. Well, like, so, but, I mean, so I've recognized in the past. I, I, but you know, looking back, I, I, I wish I had a little bit more understanding of it. Then I, I might have made some different choices, more intelligent. But there. What was incredible about that film and why I think people like that uh, film is because the three of us had absolutely zero percent interest in what anybody else thought about anything we were doing. We were probably three equally rebellious uh, artists. Yeah. We, fought, we fought every single day. The scenes, this, that. I mean, it was like it was like an acting class on steroids. We fought so hard, and now we know Vince is a, a, a more a, as a as a medium than he is. He's, he's such a like literally such an intelligent dude. Um, and the fu- I think why people like the movie is because between Vince and me, we would not let any of the any of the story go without truth. We didn't want our love story to seem casual, which of course in book brown paper it felt. You know, oh, yeah, of course, the sister of the guy who's going to die, you know, goes to New York and, and falls in love with the guy that can save her brother's life. You know, it, it seems so trite to us. And um, uh, 
and I, I, I and that will always be the mo- that movie will always be so special to me because of that. Uh, there was there was a there was a bottom line of we are going to make this as truthful as it could possibly be, leading to a moment where once the once they go back, we were in Hong Kong shooting this on top of a mountain. Once she once the sister of the guy who's going to get killed for smuggling drugs. She gets the other guy to go and take some responsibility. We're all in Hong Kong. We were right in Malaysia. We were all b-ing out of every single pool. Anything that had a hole, it was, stuff was coming out. You got sick. And, and I watched Joaquin. He's, you know, my, in the movie, he's my brother. He's fighting for his life. And I watched Joaquin slam his head. And I'm not kidding. Slam his head on the banister of the railing of, uh, in the courtroom slam his head, slam his head. He's fighting for his life. And Joaquin literally threw his head, pummeled his head into the banister, bleeding, gushing blood, screaming for them to roll camera, screaming for them to roll camera. They're rolling camera. Blood is coming out of Joaquin's head. He's fighting for his life. In between takes, he is slamming his head. I've never seen, uh, uh, I mean, it's called commitment. It could be called, I don't know. Every single one of us, the three of us cared so much about making the story not something that seemed like it was frivolous or ridiculous because it didn't have a happy ending. And we did not want, it didn't have the ending that anybody in Hollywood thought it would have, which is why it wasn't the number one movie of uh, of the weekend. Um, But we all walked away with uh, knowing that we did exactly what we wanted to do. And that is a very rare feeling on a film to, um, to walk away with a pride that says, we did it. We did it to the best of our ability. And, and, and we all knew it. It was a very special movie for me. Very it was special to me too. And, it, um, and I've gone back to it many times. And it, it's, uh, I've, I've tell people about it. I don't think I've ever seen it, by the way. You haven't? You I don't and think so. Why don't, Another one we should watch. Why don't you and Heather ever watch your films? <laughs> Return to Paradise. <laughs> no, here, we have other stuff going on. Jeremy. I know. Here's something that interesting. We have a podcast to do, dude. We're not watching Anne's old movie. Better together, Anne and Heather. Check it out. Um, little quick plug for it there. Oh, beautiful. She's got it. She's ready. It's interesting that you say the three of you, and I hadn't thought about this before. Joaquin Phoenix, Vince Vaughn, Anne Heche, really young in uh, spotlight on you, as you said. And it's called Return to Paradise. And the three of you get together, just forgetting about the outside world and focus on the craft of acting and giving some of your best work, all three of you. Maybe I hadn't thought about that outside world. Did, you, did it help um, the acting? Did it help put pressure on that pressure? Was that pressure put into making a great film or uh, giving great performances? Where? What are you talking about? And Return to Paradise. You said the outside world, the spotlight was on on the three of you. Maybe you didn't realize it, but you guys were the hot, hot actors. I mean. Oh, oh, yeah. That was just kind of a a surprise. You know, that took me a long time to come around to understand. Now I see it in a while. I mean, I see what's going on. But, you know, Vince and Joaquin could give a a flying cahoot about what anybody thinks about them. It's one of uh, each of their uniquest um, uh, qualities and, and also um, distracts people from understanding their uh, souls because they are so blatantly not interested in what anybody has to think about them. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I, I respect the most. That didn't have, that's not what it had to respect. What, what was, um, what, what, and why that movie so special. First of all, it wasn't called Return to Paradise. 
It was called something else. And when it was renamed Return to Paradise, Vince and I fought to the death. And I had just done six, eight, seven, like Return to Paradise. What are you talking about? It's about a kid being slammed and put to to a literal well, life or death circumstances because of, of he had weed. I mean, this is and by the way, it still goes on. But you would think this would be finished in, in mid third world countries, but it's not uh, Malaysia, uh, especially. But but um, uh, no, I, I think there's a I mean, I think we see it in Joaquin, um, especially in the choices that he makes. He dives, uh, of course, in River, God bless it, River, his brother, you know, past, he's, he's had some trauma in his life. And every single choice he makes is, is that dedicated. Um, and, I, and, and I really appreciate that. I, I really, um, I, I think he's, I think they are both probably two of the most extraordinary actors that we have. I don't know if they've been tested to their limit, but, but, uh, but I, I hope they will be and I get to be part of it. What was the best day on that set? Okay. So Vince and I have a love scene. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm with Ellen. Okay. At the time. I, before or after I never, I am part of why I'm but not as wealthy as I should be. I never cross the line. I always set a boundary and I set it straight so that I can play with the actors that I'm playing. But not, not always in Hollywood terms, what they want from a female, because often they want, uh, you know, a, a blowjob lunchtime. But when you meet another who has the same respect and honor for the person they're working with, the playground is so much bigger. That's what people don't understand. It's not like go like bunnies in the trailer because hey, you're both uh, you know hot actors. What's the most respectful you can be, the deepest you can go, is when you create a boundary and then say our playground is in this in this world that we're creating. Vince and I had that. Now everybody threw the oh tabloid lives. It went so disgustingly gross. Everybody was saying that we were having. Fair. By the way, again, neither one of us gave a shit. It was so funny to us what was going on in America, which we returned. But there's okay. So our, the first time we're supposed to see this love scene, and Vince and I would go back to his trailer with Joaquin and me. We'd all be playing poker and like you know maybe drinking. It doesn't matter. We did good give a fuck. We get on the set. And the director, which Vince had some issues with anyway, and Vince is not good with letting people go of issues. Like he, he's, but that's the, the part of the difficulty of Vince. But um, we were like, you know, obviously we gave each other the boundary of, okay, now we got to do this. So let's do it right. Let's make it cool. Let's figure it out. Let's choreograph the thing. You come from the thing, but I'm there. Let's make it natural. It goes there. We go onto the bed. And Vince and I were like, technical about it because we're artists but also gave us the freedom to work within a boundary of making each other feel safe but also like this better be hot like we're not doing a love scene that looks like two idiots who are getting on a bet right well so Vince and i had figured it out we thought it was over the lab we come closer together blah, blah, blah. hi my face and all of a sudden over the speakers and the studio goes let's get it on <laughs> we're like wait well, so <laughs> this music starts piping in. Let's get it on. Um, oh, 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 by the way, hilarious. Um, oh, it's not Al Jarreau. Who is it? It's uh, uh, Marvin Gaye. 
Yeah, Margaret. Well, this. Okay, so we're about so so we're coming closer, right? We do a scene before you know when the scene well, leaves up, and we're supposed to get. And just as we're about to get, we are as if it was chewed up by the director. Now, Vince and I first of all started laughing hysterically, and how ridiculous! And by the way, don't give us a music cue. Like what? Like it's insulting. First of all, like but by the way, that's supposed to be sexual. Like the whole thing was wrong. And in Vince's mind, you. That amount of wrong deserves punishment. So the entire sex scene became him punishing the director for being so insulting to him as an actor and to me as an actress that he would put on Marvin Gaye to make us have a sexy scene like it was a surprise. Now, for six hours, he derailed the director. Our love scene in that became literally a moment where Vince did not, if he could stop for one second to make, not make fun of the director from we, he for days, for days on end would start saying, and he would go, he wouldn't take the director's notes for days. And, and <laughs> love scene. Oh my God. He would be, he was on top of me. He'd act like he was kissing me and then he'd go, let's get it off. He did not let that mother director get his love scene for one second because he insulted him to his core that he thought that he would put a musical note to his acting. And I mean, I kind of agreed with it. This is the amazing thing about Vince. You agree with him, but you can't believe how he's destroying the person who was just trying to do something to help him out. And um, never, never will that director service. Uh, not in business, but, but anyway, I love seeing him between Marvin Gaye saying you. Right. I love that. I'm gonna have to watch that scene in a whole new light. I know. I might have to watch it too. You guys should watch that. You and Heather. Heather bring the cast back to uh, better together with Anne and Heather. Oh my God! <laughs> All right, Aaron, that's Return to Paradise. Go watch it now. I uh, know I haven't driven you before. I never forget a face. Who recommended me, Miss Eastern? Louis McBride. Lou? Is he in town? Uh, yeah. He's in Penang. He was arrested on drug charges. Is he still there? For eight more days. So you're telling me that eight days from right now... Louis McBride is going to hang. The day you and Tony left, a man came looking for a bike you all had rented. Only they didn't find a bike, they found hashish in the trash. Why the hell we buy so much hash anyway? In order for Lewis not to be considered a dealer, you and Tony both have to go back to Penang and accept your share of the responsibility. Tony's only going to go back if you also go back. I need a little time. Time is one thing we don't have. I'm MJ Major, a reporter for the New York Examiner. An American journalist tries to criticize Malaysian justice. I wouldn't come back for any price, not at all. I will feel guilty. I really do, just for asking you. Articles, photographs, petitions, every single one a death warrant. You guys are my last chance. If you're talking about something that happened two years and 10,000 miles ago. I found this story. I'm going to print it. Your story could cost Lewis his life. What do you want? This girl will do anything to get you to do what she needs you to do. It isn't in me. Lewis would have come back for either of us, and you damn well know it. Today is almost over, and in Penang, it's already tomorrow. Keep up, will ya? There is a lot going on here. Subscribe, and always be in the no crowd. Learning from the master, Bob DeMiro.
when you witness another person that is in front of you that is feeling vulnerable and you know that their excellence is right in front of them, but they don't see it, you spot it for them and you release it. With Bob De Niro, he thought I looked a little ill, so he said he was more ill. Whatever it is that you need to do to bring anyone into their excellence is what Bob De Niro taught me. You give. You give to those who don't know quite as much as you do when you're on the set, and that is your privilege, and that's what makes it a great scene. You're behind the curtain with Ann Haish. This is the TGAS Radio Special Ann Haish Film Series. We're exploring 11 of Ann's best works with who else? Ann Haish. Wag the dog. Two weeks prior to re-election, the United States president lands in the middle of a sex scandal. In need of outside help to quell the situation, presidential advisor Winifred Ames, played by Ann Haish, enlists the expertise of spin doctor Conrad Brian Robert De Niro, who decides a distraction is the best course of action. Rian approaches Hollywood producer Stanley Motes, uh, played by Dustin Hoffman, to help him fabricate a war in Albania. And once underway, the duo has the media entirely focused on the war. This was released in December 25th of 1997. Director was Barry Levinson. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. And uh, screenplay, Hilary Hankin, Larry Beinhardt, David Mamet, uh, one of my favorite writers. Produced by Barry Levinson, Robert De Niro, and Jane Rosenthal. And how did you get this role? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I got a call. They used to do things with movies. Well, actually called them the olden days because it doesn't have any where people used to do readings, you know, and they would bring people into, you know, young actors, and, uh, and I was one, but here, and I had a good reputation, I would go in and do readings. Um, I get a call, uh, I was like, you know, they're going to do a reading, he's very Levinson, uh, he was one of the producers on Donnie Brasco, he wants you to come in and uh, read, uh, well, you know, with uh, Bob De Niro and Dustin Hoffman, I was like, oh, who are they? I mean, honestly, I'm like, well, I shouldn't know who they are, but I didn't. Like, who are they? Um, not understanding that, I mean, talk about the most magical moment of my life. There is a cinema moment of understanding what it is to be in the presence of masters. It is this. And I um, truly, uh, Barry Levinson was probably the first person to see me in a light that no one else did. I'd done Donnie Brasco, and um, he wanted to do a reading of this David Mamet uh, film called, um, uh, you know, Wag the Dog, uh, political satire. I went into, I was like, of course, you know, of course I'll go, I'll like read. But I, uh, I, and I was like, hey, Barry, you know, he was a producer on you know, Donnie Brasco. I don't know. I'm like, oh, hey, I, mean, I like reading like um, Waitress 1, 2. Do you want me to read all the like, Girl, ABC part, like who am I? Re- he goes, no, I want you to read uh, when, when, uh, um, what, what the guy, like, but the guy, the there's uh, one character that's the main character, and then the other, and then there's a guy that he's like, yeah, I want you to read that one. Mamet can't write uh, women, so I want you uh, to uh, read the guy. Don't change the word. Dude, you don't understand. He told me this. We're in a comedy. We're in like the St. Regis in a comedy room. 
And then he walk. Bob De Niro, right? And Justin Hoffman. And they sit across from me. And then like, then all these people come around. They sit around the table. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm in the I'm in the Okay. It's like, and just do it. Not only did the movie push back his uh, next movie, Sphere, they immediately, this was December, right before Christmas, all three of them, meaning Dustin, Bob, and Barry, decided to make the movie before Sphere, wanted to do it in January and make it the shortest uh, film at that time ever done. They did it in 29 days. Now you have to understand film shooting. 14 days, it's all in digital. 29 days. Bob Richardson was the director of photography. Cinematography was insane. We didn't have GoPros at Mm. that time. He put cameras in hallways. He did something nobody had ever seen. He became the spy within the underground of the White House through camera work. And Everybody's like, oh, my God, we have to shoot like seven pages a day. It's so weird. Well, I've been out so far as I shot 60 pages a day. But I'll tell you this. I got so sick my first day. I was so nervous. I, they changed wind to Winifred, but they never changed one word of the script. I showed up my first day. I was so sick. I, I can't believe what's happening to me by this time. I do know who Bob and Dustin are, and now I'm really wanting to throw up. I get onto the set, <laughs> and I'm like, mm, mm, uh, Bob's like, He goes, You know what? I feel sick too. Let's get off this set. He takes me up from the ball, he's doing it with the underground of the White House that was built. He takes me to his trailer. He goes, You know what? It makes me feel better when I feel sick. Is it vitamin B shop? He had a nurse come shoot us both in the ass with vitamin B. He's like, I feel better, better. I feel better. I will tell you what he did, which is the most magical thing that anybody can do for anyone relieve their stress so that they can perform or be the best. He took me on and talked to me. He's like, I'm sicker than you. Come on, right? Taking away my anxiety. Yeah. taking away my he knew exactly what was going on i was a 26 year old girl i basically brought in to be the whole precaution between dustin hoffman and bob de niro and he knew exactly what i felt oh, wow and he absorbed it sorry i like that took it bob de niro. he made me feel like it wasn't out of my mind and he said mom me more than you uh, right but there's you and what it did was give me a lesson for a lifetime about how others can treat people on sets to relieve them of the anxiety, what the gift and the privilege. Bob knew it has become one of my dearest soul connectors in my life and my teachers who took away from me anything that would get in the way of me being the performer that they all hired. And they all agree. That's a movie star, Robert De Niro. And to realize and recognize that and then Make you feel comfortable. That's a good story. I like that one. I like that. So I got to go wag the dog. That's what I'm watching tonight. Uh, check it out and and look. And it's gonna. So what was the very first scene? I want to see if I can see how that B, vitamin B shot. The very first scene was the scene. It was it was uh, downstairs. So um, uh, what was happening with the cameras? They, they were put up in in a hallway, and they they built uh, the White House. 
And the first scene that we shot was going Bob and me walking down into the, uh, you know, into the, uh, the underground quarters of the White House. It was the belly of the White House. That was the first. I, I think they shot. In fact, I think Barry did it. It was also very interesting. It was a very short, uh, again, like I said, very short amount of time at that time, uh, 29 days to shoot a film. Um, but uh, I, one of the things that they did uh, that was also unique was he tried as much as possible because we're in, we were in contained quarters uh, to shoot it chronologically, which is not necessarily done on movies. And by the way, can't be done. Um, but that was the first scene. The first scene is the first scene. Of the movie. I like the story. I'm going to go look at that. Wag the dog. We are behind the curtain with Anne Heche on a film, a film series. There's a crisis in the White House. What's the crisis? And the president's top advisors have been called together. Oh, jeez. The sexual misconduct occurred inside the Oval Office. With the election only days away, how much will this scandal affect the outcome? The president spent the weekend pressing the flash. He wasn't campaigning, he was dating, actually. Now, Washington's top spin doctor. We can distract the press for 11 days till the election. I think we got a chance. Has an idea. We can't afford a war. We're gonna have the appearance of a war. But he can't pull it off without Hollywood's top producer. Uh, do I know you? We have some mutual friends in Washington. Why come to me? We want you to produce. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. New Line Cinema presents... How close are you to this? What do you want the kid to say? All the spectacle. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know uh, that we are all concerned for the president. He didn't, he didn't sell the line. All the drama. The president's going to go to war with Albania in about 30 minutes. Albania's hard to ride. These are chips. We need it for the armed position on the street. It'll be a kit, and we'll punch it in later, right? And all the effects of real war. Okay, put the, the village behind it. Give me some sound of screaming. Without the casualties. America has seldom witnessed a more poignant picture. They used the same process with the last Schwarzenegger movie. You're the man. Albania, Albania. That rhymes. I can't believe it. We forgot a hero. It was like we sent him the Christmas card and we left out the what do you call fruitcake. There you go. Sergeant Schumann, if I may, welcome to history. How are you? Anybody want a beer? Because I could party. When it's cooking, it's cooking. From Academy Award winning director Barry Levinson. When this goes national, I get to put it on my resume? Actually, no. What, what could they do to me? They could haunt your house and kill you. Academy Award winner Dustin Hoffman. This is politics at its finest. Academy Award winner Robert De Niro. How would you like an ambassadorship? That's my fail? Well, I'd just do it for a story to tell. Oh, no, you couldn't tell anybody. Listen, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> you couldn't tell No, no, no. It's just a, it's a, it's, it's a pageant. It's a pageant. That's what it is. Wag the dog. When the fit hits the shan, somebody's going to have to stay after school. Roll a seven every time by advertising on The Jeremiah Show. And get your message out on seven shows. We're always on the radio. Curtain with Anne Hayes. This is the TGAS Radio Special Anne Hayes Film Series. We're exploring 11 of Anne's best works with who else? Anne Hayes. Psycho, hoping for a fresh start with her broke boyfriend. 
Marion, played by Anne Heche, steals a huge sum from her boss and skips town, eventually stopping at a remote motel. There, she's served by the intensely awkward yet docile Norman Bates, played by Vince Vaughn, whom she often hears arguing with his domineering mother. But later that night, Marion is brutally slain, and Norman finds and hides her body. When a detective and Marion's sister visit the motel to investigate, they uncover shocking truths. Psycho. Welcome to the show, Anne. <laughs> when you hear the word psycho, that's immediately what comes to mind. I was funny. I, I hadn't even seen the movie before I got the audition with Gus Van Sant, but that's not, that's, uh, uh, you know, not a rarity for me. If you know me, I, I, I mean, I came from, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, when I arrived in, in Hollywood, they said I was like a wild animal set free from their cage. <laughs> I had no idea what the <laughs> f*** was going on. about you? Uh, I mean, I didn't know, uh, I mean, uh, to put it in a capsule, I, I didn't know I was raised in a cult and in, 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 and also completely limited to uh, the only book I could read was the Bible. Um, my brother and I um, uh, stole a, a couple of records. He hid the turntable under his bed when my parents would go away. He had got two records from his friends and uh, played me Billy Joel. So I, I know all of Last House. So when somebody uh, told me that I was up for uh, a role in Psycho, um, when they expected that I would understand um, what that was. And, uh, and I learned by that point, it's just kind of like, uh -huh. and, um, uh, and Gus Van Sant um, it was a name that I knew because uh, I heard that he was doing a movie and I had done a movie with these two kids, right? <laughs> um, uh, I, I, um, um, what, what? what? Was it my private Idaho? No, no, no. The big one, the big one that he did, the college one that he did. Oh yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill yes. Hunting. Yeah. So Goodwill Hunting was, and I remember standing in the back of the theater, and I was like, "This movie, I don't, this movie doesn't ring true to me." But, okay, but oh, I mean, who am I? But that but what always got me in trouble. But I remember being in the back saying, oh, "This doesn't ring true to me." Then I get an audition for Psycho. It's Gus Van Sant. I'm like, I want to talk to that mother. I go, I'm like, what's Psycho? I'm supposed to know it. Okay, but, but I watch Psycho for the first time the night before I'm going to meet Gus. And I'm thinking, what the hell is so cool about this movie? I mean, honestly, I'm a little bit, I don't even know why I'm jaded. I just don't get it. I'm not, but I wasn't a professor. I go in and I meet Gus. And he expects that I'm also going to be a, you know, psycho, you know, uh, servant. I'm like, I don't know what the heck is so great about this movie. Um, why are you doing it? He said, well, you know, it was my college thesis to do a, to do a remake of Psycho shot for shot. And when I got to Hollywood, I wanted to do a remake in color shot for shot. They wouldn't let me do it. 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 Come Goodwill Hunting. He said, they him, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? He's like, I want to do the same thing that I wanted to do before I did Goodwill Hunting. I want to do a shot for shot remake of Psycho. Well, of course, they let him do it. I think he thought I was so odd, that, which is how I got most of my roles at, at, at the time. Um, what ended up happening in that movie was that not only was it shot for shot, Vince and I were so dedicated to what it was that Gus was doing mm -hmm. that we literally would step 
at the same moment, put on our weight on each foot, do whatever. The thing that we dedicated ourselves to was having a different personality and soul in the character, which then led me to go up to the head of, uh, um, of Sony uh, with Gus and say, you know what? I shouldn't be a guy in that first scene. Why don't we make Marion a, 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 a gay? Well, Gus and I were so quickly thrown out of that room. <laughs> you know, of course, that didn't happen. Gus, no, you were just. But uh, you know, no was the answer. But uh, Julianne Moore, um, what happened was the interest that Gus and I had in switching the internal of the characters rather than the external became something that then Julianne Moore took on and become, became an embodiment of her character, which if you watch it, it's so, so gorgeous how she uh, embodies uh, that character in a different way. And, and I would say flat out decided like, okay, Anna isn't going to be able to do it. I'll do it. I'm going to play this girl, a lesbian. And um, uh, it, was, it was just amazing to watch her work. How uh, does it help you to, to go in with these just strong opinions and just be yourself and hate? It has never served me. I'm learning how to curb my enthusiasm for my opinions in meetings now. Yeah. <laughs> I have um, so steadfastly lost every single job. I told the director um, didn't make any sense from from uh, speed to um, uh, yeah, that one didn't make any sense to me. And then that one, show me the money, show me the money with Tom Cruise. What was that one? She got Renee Zellweger got the uh, 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 you know an, uh, a nomination for it. I, I wanted that. I'm like, this isn't about love. This isn't love. He doesn't love her. Tom Cruise doesn't love the character doesn't love her and she just wants like it's DD and it's weird. It's not really a love story. I got to call from my agent. The f- <laughs> did you just tell? Did you just f- up your audition with Tom Cruise by saying that you don't believe this movie is about love and it's fake? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, but, but that's not difficult to change. <laughs> by the way, no, didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I shot myself in the foot a lot and now I try to keep my mouth shut a little bit when we talked about Psycho last time you teased everyone you said it's I'm not going to get it right but you said something, it's like covering your eyes for 60 minutes what, what did you say How- okay so there was one shot that Hitchcock couldn't do um, so Gus wanted to do a shot for shot we had the boards up, up on the, the stage his daughter was there it was, it was completely like very like thumbs up from the family uh uh and every single shot was executed to such precision there was something that that hitchcock wanted to do once marion was um dead in the uh shower in the famous shower scene he wanted to go from her eye up and out through the window but at the time they didn't have the technology so there is one shot that gus Added, did he wanted to fulfill the fantasy of that shot that Hitchcock had spoken of mm-hmm. his wish list? And so, uh, when uh, I when Marion gets killed in in the shower, there's a beautiful uh, you know shot of her eye open, dead. But what Gus wanted to do was not only what Hitchcock had done, but take Marion's eye out and then up into the world, which was then what we were capable of doing. I trained my eye. I am not kidding. Uh, it was probably one of the strangest things I've done. I always like being challenged. I trained my eye to stay open. I did eye exercise 
I trained my eye just to anybody who would see me at any time. I would just be staring. I was staring and staring because I had to have it open for a minute and a half. No, no. It's probably one of my greatest accomplishments. When we got that shot, oh, Gus went bananas. It was like the whole way. Hitchcock's daughter was on the set. Everybody started cheering because it was like an honor to uh, Hitchcock. Did you say Hitchcock's daughter was there as well to witness that? Oh, yeah, she was on the set every day. I mean, cheering, cheering. I mean, it was an, I mean who knew that that was a wish list of uh, Hitchcock? I knew it wasn't. I was happy to be a part of it. That's, That's a great uh, behind the curtain with Anne Hache on Psycho. Yeah. best friend is his mother. <laughs> she just, uh, she just goes a little mad sometimes. <laughs> mother! Oh, God! Mother! This is comedian Maz Chobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Dreho. Jeremiah, your love, Holmes. You're so cool. You're so cool. You're so cool. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 